Judges, Judges chapter number 7, this evening, Judges 7. Look at one of, one of these good judges. I, I know there are lots of famous judges in the book of Judges. Probably the most famous judge in all the book of Judges is Samson. But my, probably if I had a favorite judge in the, in the book of Judges, it would be Gideon. I like, I like Gideon. I like how Gideon got started. I like how I like how Gideon got the got victories in his life. I just like I just like the the ju- this 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 man Gideon. We're gonna take a take a little snapshot of of, of uh, Gideon's uh, Gideon's victory here and look at the thought from him tonight. Judges chapter seven and let's look at verse number sixteen. Here's what the Bible says. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me, and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon with the three hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had but newly set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Beth Shittah and Zariath, and to the border of, that good word right there, unto Tabith. Man, i got to work on my Hebrew. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, I love you. I thank you for tonight. Lord, I pray, Lord, you to help us as we look at your word. Lord, to take this thought. Lord, I pray. I pray you'd bless it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, God, God raised up Gideon in this moment to stand against an army of 135,000 Midianite soldiers. Now, uh, a massive army to, to, uh, to, to oppose this, uh, this army was not assembled. You know, in fact, if you kind of know the story of Gideon, you'll remember that as Gideon was called by God, I like how God found Gideon. God found Gideon, this, this great judge who's going to have a great victory here. He didn't find Gideon out, in the, out protesting and out, and, out, and out trying to raise up an army. God found Gideon behind a, behind a wine press sifting wheat. He was, he was really a fearful man. He was really a man who, who didn't have a whole lot of confidence in himself. In fact, when, when God came to Gideon, he, came, he looked at Gideon and he said this. He said, he said, Hell, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor, while Gideon was hiding behind a wine press, afraid for his life. But, but God knew what Gideon could be, but not because Gideon was great, but because God wanted to do great things through Gideon. So God called Gideon and said, I, I, want you to be, I want you to be a judge. I want you to free, free your people from this bondage they had against the Midianites. Man, the, 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 and, and so Gideon begins to try to raise up an army to go to battle. And Gideon goes out and finds 32,000 men to go to war with. But, but those 32,000 men soon got whittled down 
to just 300. If you remember, as Gideon got his army all assembled together, and, and, and they got together, Gideon said, Okay, if you're just fearful, if you're afraid, it's okay, we understand. If you're afraid, just go home. It'd be better for you to go home than for you to stand beside your brother fearful for your life. And on that moment, almost, almost 27,000 men walked away from the battlefield. So Gideon's down to, down to much, much less. But that wasn't, that wasn't going to be enough. God knew that if, Gideon, if they got a great victory out of that, they'd give Gideon and themselves the praise and not God. So God said to Gideon, okay, here's what I want you to do. Take him to this, this river, this brook, and have the men get water. And he watched those men as they began to get water. And those men who would get down on their knees and on their hands and stick their face in the water and try to lap up the water like a dog, he said, no, send those men away. But those men who would hit their knee and reach down their hand into the water and cup the water and bring it to their mouth and, so they could stay, stay vigilant and watchful, God said, you could keep those men. And it was all said and done, 32,000 men were whittled down to no more than 300 men. And that, and that was who God was going to go to war against the Midianite army with. Now these 300 men, they didn't go to war with modern weapons and technologies. I mean, there was no tanks and planes and no, no, no M16s. No, they went to war with ram's horns, a lamp, and an empty clay jar. You know, I, I, I want to I I talk to you tonight about, about the value of an empty jar. I want to talk to you, if you look back up there in verse number 18, you can see where they went to war. As a matter of fact, he took his 300 men and put them into three companies. So each company had 100 men. Gideon handed every man an a, a empty pitcher, a lamp, and lamps within the pitcher. But I want to talk to you tonight about a thought I have about the, about the value of the empty pitcher. The value of the empty pitcher. You know, I'm sure when the potters formed these jars, they had no idea of the use that would be needed for their jars. They had no idea of the purpose that these vessels would be needed. Just like you and I have no idea what God can do with and through us if you and I are yielded to Him. These clay jars, these empty jars, as I read through this story, to me are a great representation of the Christian. They were earthen made, just like you and I are earthen made. They were formed from the dust of the ground. And there, there are important lessons to learn from these empty vessels and this lamp. And I, and I hope I can share with you my thought about the, the value of being an empty pitcher. You know, let's, talk a few, let's talk about a few things. First of all, can I, can I talk to you about what I would call, first of all, the necessity of emptiness? The necessity of of emptiness. You know, there was a there was a need for the, there was a need for the reason why Gideon would hand these men this empty pitcher. And you can see it right there in verse number 16. It said this, uh, he put trumpets in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitcher. These burning, they, 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 there was these burning lamps that they needed to have in this nighttime raid, but they had to be concealed. And the only way they could conceal the, the lamp was to take that lamp and put it inside of the pitcher. You know, for that to happen, the vessels had to be empty. If they, if they were full of stuff, there would be no room for the lamp. You know, if... if, if, if if the wrong thing was in the jar, if the jar had water in it, if the, the jar had, had, was filled full of dirt, whatever the case may be, when they tried to put the, the pitcher, the lamp in the...
picture, it would have extinguished the light and would have been of no value to them. It was a necessity, it was a necessary thing that these pictures were empty. And when it comes to you and I and our Christian life, can I just remind you, it is a necessary thing to be empty pictures for the Lord. You know, there's a lot of times that I think God wants to do stuff with us and, and through us to, to, to use us. But, I, but so many times I think God wants to use us and yet he can't because we're full of things. And because we're full of things, he can't use us in the way he would desire. If you and I are going to live a Christian life that is going to be pleasing and honorable to, the God, to God, let me tell you one thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to empty some things out of our life. So that might be a few things. First of all, it might be that you and I need to empty some sin out of our life. I, listen, I understand it's Wednesday night. You're the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the Wednesday night crowd, and you're good people, and I love you, and I'm glad you're here. You know, and a lot of times, you know, I, but, but can I remind you, there are times in our life if we're not careful, we'll allow sin to get into our life and fill our life up, and then we have, we have our life that's so full of sin that God can't use us in the way that he would because we're full of the things that we shouldn't be because we're full of sin. And Frank, can I tell you, the best thing you and I can do would be to stop for a moment and, and hit our knees and say, God, hey, I'm sorry. God, I repent. God, empty me of this sin so you can use me in the way that you would. The way that you, would. you know, I think about those Pharisees that Jesus constantly had to fight and deal with on a, almost on a day-by-day basis in his earthly ministry. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus compared them to was he compared them to a cup that on the outside was so beautiful. On the outside was clean. On the outside it looked, it looked useful. But on the inside of that cup was nothing more than dirt and dregs and rottenness. And can I tell you something? One of the most dangerous things you and I could ever do as Christians. I, listen, we know, we know how to play the game. We know how to do the right things. Listen, I've been in church my, my whole life. And I, listen, I know how to say the right things. I know how to put, the, put on the dog. I know, how to, I know how to walk in and act like everything's okay. And I, I, know, I know how to make sure the outside of my cup looks great. But if I'm not careful, the inside of my cup can be full of dregs and dirt and the rottenness of sin. And let me just tell you, God's never going to fill a dirty cup. And you and I are going to have to be sure if we're going to be the right kind of Christians, if we're going to be the kind of, the kind of Christian that God can use, then you and I are going to have to make sure we're empty first, empty of our sin. But let me just say, not only empty of our sin, how about being empty of our self as well? Empty of our self. You know, there is nobody who loves me like I love me. There's nobody who wants me to do great like I want me to do great. We all, we, we're all guilty of that way too often. We, you know, we, 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 we allow ourselves to be, if we're not careful, to be so full of pride, so full of false humility that we think it's necessary for us to do whatever it is we can do. I mean, we, we have problems come our way, and we think, well, Lord, I don't need your help with this. I can take care of this. We have situations come our way, and we say, Lord, I don't need you for this. I can take care of this. We, we have, we have uh, decisions to make, and we, we, we leave God out. We, we're so full of pride and so full of self because we refuse to empty our vessel of ourself 
that we find ourselves in more and more trouble because all we're ever caring about is ensuring that self is satisfied and self is pleased. And we leave God out of the whole picture because we, we don't want him to be pleased. I like what Corey Tinboom said. She, this, this, she said this. Uh, she, she spoke on the necessity of emptiness. And here's what she said. When I panic, I run. When I run, I lose. When I lose, God waits. When I wait, he fights. When he fights, I learn. I have learned to hold everything loosely. That way it doesn't hurt when God takes them from me. Oh, friend, can I tell you, there's a lot of wisdom in those words. What is it we hold on to so hard that we would never, we, we, that if God were to come and take it away from us, it would destroy us? What is it we hold so much value in, so much pride in? What is it we were so holding on so tight to that it's, it's, it's filling our vessel? And because it's filling our pot, God can't fill our pot. There's a necessity for emptiness. There had to be a light put into that pitcher to help get a victory. The necessity of emptiness. But can I just say this? <clears throat> There's also had to be a necessity for weightlessness as well. The necessity of weightlessness. If you and I are going to go be effective, if you and I are going to be effective in the service of Christ, you and I are going to have to learn to get rid of the weights of sin and the hindrances in our lives. You know, Hebrews 12:1 says it like this. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, I like this. I, I, this is probably a familiar verse to most of you. And I like that verse because it, it, it reminds me of two things. It, it, it kind of sandwiches a thought between two great, two great thoughts. The first great thought is the fact that you and I have been compassed about of so great a cloud of witnesses. But I think about those great Bible, uh, Bible people we have that we can read about and we can see their life. I think about the men like the life of Moses, I mean the life of David, the life of uh, Paul and Peter and John. I, those are the, that, we're compassed passed about with men like that who came and ran a great race. They lived a godly life. They, they worked hard for the cause of Christ. They, they gave their whole life in service for their God. I think about those men, but I think about other people as well. But I think about loved ones that I have. Well, I think about those loved ones that I, that I, that I, that I, that I have who already passed away and they're, they're in heaven right now. People like my grandparents. Uh, I, I have my, my, my grandmother in the mountains. Is my, she, she's still alive. She's my last remaining grandparent who's alive. But I've had three others go on. And can I tell you, I just want to testify, they were good people. They were godly people. I mean, a good godly grandmother, two good godly grandparents. And they, can I tell you, I watched their life. And I saw how they acted. I saw how they dealt with problems. I saw how they dealt with all the issues of life. And can I tell you, they, 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 they stayed faithful. They served God. They trusted God. They did it right. And I'm compassed about with their witness as well. Not to mention the preachers and the Sunday school teachers and the, and the people who have, who have served faithfully. I'm running a race. That, that, that is my goal. Is to, is, to, is to serve and live like they did. 
Listen, we, we, we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Can I tell you something? We're all running the same race. That's what the last part of 12, Hebrews 12, 1 says. And let us run with, run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, that idea of that race, that's not the idea that you and I have been designed to come and sit and, and just sit down and try to endure from the time we got saved to the time God takes us home. No, God expects from you and I to live a life of service, to work, to serve, to run for Him. But if we're going to do it right, there are some things we have to lay aside. We have to set aside. We, that, that's what that word lay aside, when it's, that word lay aside in Hebrews 12, 1, it means to cast off, to put away, to lay down. You know, <laughs> but I like, I like how you ever see, those, you see the other word in there, lay aside every weight, every weight. You know, we can understand when it says, what says sin, we, we, we just talked about that, why we should set aside sin and lay aside sin. We get that. But what about the weights of our life that hold you and I back? What about the things in our life that are more important to us than, than, uh, than, than serving God faithfully? You know, I, I, was, I, was, I was kind of getting my, finalizing my serious thoughts for that Why Revival Terry's. And man, I was kind of, but, but one of the thoughts that I have, and I'll try to preach it a few weeks down the road so you can forget about this message when I get down there, is that the one thing that we're really caught up in in Why Revival Terry's is because we're so enslaved to our idols. We're involved with our idols. Now, what's an idol? An idol is anything you and I put above God. Christ said this, that he should be the preeminent one. Not, a, not the prominent one, not, not, an, not the important one. He said, I should be the preeminent one of your life. That word preeminent means he is above all. There is nothing that compares to him. There is nothing that competes with him, that he is above all. But can I tell you, a lot of times, well, we have our Savior high up on the list. But we put a lot of things above him. And that becomes our idols. And it becomes our weights. And they hold us back. And they slow us down. But yet you and I are called, understanding that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, we are called to lay aside those, those weights that hold us, hold us back from serving him so that you and I can more effectively run the race that's set before us. Can I ask you a question? I mean, obviously we, we understand this story. During this battle, it is, it is, it is going to be a hard battle. I mean, it's 300 against 132,000. You're outmanned, you're outgunned, there's no hope. But can, I, can, I, can, I, can you imagine if, if, that, if that picture that Gideon handed to those men was full of rocks and they had to lug those rocks up the hillside to get to the top of the hill. Man, by the time they got to the top of the hill, they wouldn't have enough air in their lungs to even blow the trumpet they had to blow because the weights they had carried up the hill had held them back from being able to be effective when it was time to go to war because they were weighted down. See, it was, necess it was a necessity that it had to be an empty pitcher. But it all, uh, there's a necessity of emptiness, but there's also a necessity of weightlessness. If this picture is a if this picture is a, a picture of ourself and our Christian life and our and this clay tent you and I still live live inside, what 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 are you full of? Have you emptied your picture? 
What's weighing you down? What's holding you back? What do you need to lay aside? You know, there's a great statement I've, I've heard. Weights are not necessarily a bad thing, but weights can sometimes make us so busy that we find ourselves too busy to serve the Lord. And I've heard this statement before, and you probably have heard it as well. If you are too busy to serve God, then friend, you're just too busy. You're just too busy. You know, I like what Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. He said this, that, 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 that Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he said this in verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. What, what Paul is saying to Timothy is, first of all, he reminds Timothy that this Christian life, it's not, it's not a walk through the daisies. This Christian life, it's, it's a fight. And he says this, endure the fight as a good soldier. Listen, I, we've, I've said it before, you know, I'm glad to be a son in the family. I'm glad to be a servant in the field. I'm glad to be a sheep in the fold. But friend, let me remind you, I'm also a soldier in a fight. And, I, and I've got to endure and I've got to fight hard. But can I tell you something? A good soldier, one thing he doesn't do, he doesn't weigh himself down. And verse 4 reminds us that no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Listen, when that soldier goes to battle, I'll tell you what he's thinking about. He's thinking about the battle in front of him. He's thinking about the fight in front of him. He's not thinking about all the things that surround his day. He's not tied up in all the affairs of this life. He's not worried about all the pleasures that this life can offer. He's not worried about all the satisfaction he can get from this. No, friend, he's going to war to fight. And so he doesn't involve himself with all the affairs of this life. And so that he could please him who had chosen him to be a soldier. The necessity of weightlessness. The necessity of weightlessness. But listen, I, I preached all of that to get this one point. The necessity of, of emptiness. The necessity of weightlessness. And then lastly, the necessity of weakness. The necessity of weakness. You know, there was a great instruction, <clears throat> there was a great instruction that was given in verse, uh, <clears throat> verse number 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. And they had, put, they had, they had, they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets, and they break the pitchers that were in their hands. You know, that, that, that if these pitchers had been made of iron instead of clay, when those men would have taken those pitchers and hit them on the rock, they would have stayed whole and never broke. And because they never broke, they would never have been effective as they were meant to be. It was a necessary thing. I mean, they, 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 they would, they, these jars needed to be able to break so they could suddenly bring forth the brightness hidden inside of them. Friend, can I just remind you, being broken is a necessary thing as a child of God. It's when you and I are broken or contrite or humble that you and I are then able to shine for the Lord. But when you and I are stubborn or defiant, then we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you and I are hard-hearted, then the Lord will have to break us and soften our hearts before you and I can be used and, used and be effective in serving Him. Being broken is not a bad thing. Being humble 
contrite puts you and I in a position where God then can then shine through us. You know, we, 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 there's, a, there's a good song I like that says this, when anyone looks at me, let them see Jesus. And I like that thought because that's how it ought to be, isn't it? That people, when people look at Jonathan Ritchie, they ought not see Jonathan Ritchie. They ought to see the light of the Lord shining through my life. But the only way that can happen is when I learn to be broken and humble and contrite. You know, M.R. DeHaan, an old preacher, he said this, Before a thing can be made, it must be broken. Before a house can be built, the tree must be broken down. Before the ripe grain can cover the field, soil must be broken into small clumps and plowed. Before a thing can be made, it must be broken. Friend, I wonder tonight how many of us sit in church pews and, and the reality of it is is that we're really not a broken people. That we're a people that, 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 that don't, don't, don't desire for the Lord to shine through our life. The psalmist in Psalm 51, David said this, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O oh God, Thou will not despise. There's a, there's a great value and blessing in being broken. In being broken. To come to a point where we lay aside our life. We lay aside our thoughts. We lay aside our desires. And we say, Lord, it's not my life. It's your life. Lord, it's not my plan. It's your plan. Lord, it's not my desires. It's your desires. When we humbly come to God, and we say, Lord, I'm broken. You do with me what you will. Then God says, that pleases him. A broken and a contrite heart, oh God, thou will not despise. You know, I want you to think about something. God can use a broken believer in a variety of ways. Think about this. The broken believer is a revealer of the splendor of God's grace. Have you ever found somebody maybe, maybe who, who, who has had to endure a hardship in their life and they're a Christian person? And instead of that Christian person going through that hardship, maybe it's a sickness or whatever the case may be, and their whole time they're bitter and they're angry about it, the whole time they're, 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 they're upset about it, they just sit there and they say, God's still good and God's been good. I trust Him. Hey, He's taken care of me so far. He'll continue to take care of me all the way through. Can I tell you something? That person proves to you and I that a broken believer is a revealer of the splendor of God's grace. Of God's grace. The broken believer is also is a mender of broken fellowship with God and with others. Can I tell you, one of the hardest things that ever happens inside of a church is when people get crossways inside of the church. But can I tell you what? The broken, the broken believer is a person that, that is willing to lay aside their pride and their hurt in that, in, that, in, that, in that problem and say, God, and say, hey, listen, we're family. Hey, we're brothers and sisters. Let's make this right. Hey, let's, 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 let's mend this broken relationship. <laughs> That's what a broken believer can do. You know, the broken believer is a defender of the faith and of others. One of my favorite Bible, Bible proofs of this is a man named Barnabas. I like Barnabas. 
Barnabas was a he was he was he was called the son of consolation. But man, Barnabas, after Paul got saved, Paul and Barnabas uh, got together. Barnabas actually went to Paul to try to, 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 to and met Paul, and Barnabas took Paul back to Jerusalem to meet with people like Peter and James and and the leaders of the of the Jew the church at Jerusalem. And you have to understand that as Peter and James and those men knew Paul, they knew Paul as the man who was trying to kill the whole church. I mean, he was one breathing out threatens against the church. And yet here comes Barnabas, the son of consolation, bringing Saul, uh, bringing Saul back to these men. And, and, and because Barnabas wanted to do his best to defend not only the faith of the gospel that says to you and I that it'll change a man, but also defend a brother in Christ as well. That's what, that's what a broken believer can do. You know, the broken believer is also, is also a suspender to those who are weak, failing, and need lifting. You know, one of the greatest, the greatest, the greatest character traits I think you and I could ever take on of our Savior is compassion. Compassion. You know, I, I, like, I like how it was said about our Savior. That every time he lifted up his eyes and see the multitudes, well, here's what it said about him, that he looked on them with compassion as sheep having no shepherd. You know, that, that to me is, a, is, is a, what a broken person can do. We live in a world, man, we live in a world where we have become so siloed in our life, even in our churches. Man, our lives are lived, our lives are lived with, with, with a screen about two feet from our face. And we, we're always looking down, and we're always looking to entertain ourselves. And we've forgotten what it's like to look up and see what's going on. And when you and I can look up, can I tell you what we find? We find people who are hurting. We find people who need help. We find people who, 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 need, who need somebody to come by and just give them a good word of encouragement. We need somebody, we need, we need, they, we, there are people who need somebody just to come by and kind of put out a hand to help them up when they're down. And a broken person is a person who's learned to look up and find those people so they can help suspend those who are weak, failing, and need lifting. The broken believer is also an attender to the word and the will of God. They don't, they don't look at the word of God as, 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 as a list of do's and don'ts and then they look at it almost like it's, it's, it's a book that tries to keep you and I from enjoying life and having fun. They, they, they say, this is, this, is, this is my Bible. This is the word of God. And I love this. And this, this word sets me free, and this word helps me, and this word keeps me from falling, and this word, keeps me, this word keeps me from failing. And they don't look at it like a problem, they look at it like the solution for life. That's what a broken believer does. A broken believer is also an extender of God's love and grace. And a broken believer is also surrendered to God's leading in his or her life. That broken believer has set all aside in an effort just to live for the Lord. But the question would be this. Are you a broken believer? That, that, those, those clay pots, those feeble clay pots, inside of that pot was the light that would shine forth. But the only way it could happen was if it was broken the only way Gideon's plan could work, the only way that, 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 the, that God's people could get the victory over the Midianites was if that pitcher was able to be broken. And can I, just, can I just tell you, let me just bring it all back together if I can. We live in a day and a time 
where we, where, where we are in a great battle for souls. Listen, I'm, I, be, I, I don't know how you feel, but man, I feel like a lot of times, it just feels like it's getting so dark out that door. It feels like a lot of times that, 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 if, that sometimes that, man, people just seem to have, have no desire to want, to want to know God. They have no desire to want to know the, about the things of God. And yet God's people, God's people, if I can be honest with you, I think too many times we have taken this clay picture of our life and we have filled it with too much stuff. And now we're, we're full and we're weighted down and we're unwilling to be broken. And because of that, God can't use us the way He would want to. Friend, can I just, can I just encourage you? Listen, I, when it's all said and done and I stand before God, I don't want this clay picture of my life to have not been used. I, I, want, I want God to, to fill me with His light. I want God to, to I, I want to understand that I'm in a fight. And if I'm going to fight the right way, I've got to lay aside some things and, and set aside the sin and the self and those things that are weighing me down. And then come to a place where I'm saying, God, you can break me if you want to. Whatever you need to do, God, I'm willing. Just use me how you want. And then... Who knows what God can do with my life? Who knows what God can do with your life? What's in your picture tonight? What's in your picture tonight? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Brother Brian's going to.